You are listening to Intrepid Healthcare's exclusive coverage of the HIMSS Annual Conference and Exhibition. Welcome to HIMSS 15, direct from Chicago. Our coverage is brought to you by CTG Health Solutions, your trusted advisor for healthcare IT advisory and consulting services. And now, here are your hosts, Joe Lavelle and Rayanne Thorne. Welcome to a special episode of Intrepid Healthcare Live from the HIMSS 15 exhibition floor in Chicago. I'm your host, Joe Lavelle, and I'm excited to be bringing you Talk HIT with CTG with my friend and co-host, Rayanne Thorne, from our remote studio right here in the CTG Health Solutions booth. Rayanne, how about a quick shout out to our sponsor, CTG Health Solutions? Wow, I, I can't say enough about the opportunity that we've had to hang out here at the CTG booth at HIMSS 15, very close to Epic, and all of the friends that we've made, the, the reacquaintances that have taken place, CTG has taken very good care of us. They provide a great service, whether it's consulting, implementation, whatever your needs are, you can come to them. They will be consultive and helpful. Our partner and our friends. All we right. love them. We're going to get right to it. Today, we're joined by yet another fellow South Alabamian. Wow. Mark, what's going on here? Mark Lauder and CIO <laughs> of University of South Alabama Health System. Mark, welcome to the show. Thanks. All right. Before we begin our discussion, take a few seconds and inform the audience about you and your background. Okay. Well, I'm Mark Lauder. I'm, I'm the CIO at the University of South Alabama. The end of this month, I will have been here two full years. Wow. Spent wow. A, been in healthcare IT for almost 30 years. Also spent some time with Intel and also spent some time with an Indian-owned software development company, but done a lot of different things in my career. Good deal. Does it feel like two years? Feels longer. Been a lot, <laughs> lot of changes going on. That's good. That's and good. Change is good. Mark's done a lot of great things at the University of South Alabama Health System. Give us a 10,000-foot overview about what you guys do there. We have two hospitals. We have a primary medical center. We also have a children's hospital. We also have an employed physicians group. We're a university health system. Obviously, we have a bunch of teaching physicians. We have uh, residents. We have nursing students. We also have a freestanding cancer research and treatment facility. So those four facilities are primary. Um, We've got all kinds of different systems. Today, we got Saurian for the clinical for the hospitals. We have Envision for the RevCycle for the hospitals. We have NextGen for clinical and RevCycle for the ambulatory. We have Varian for the clinical for the cancer, the oncology. We also have a product called E4, which is partnered with Varian for the RevCycle for the oncology. So we've got a bunch of different things today. You're uh, busy. Very Mark, busy. we're going to put guy. that cash register right here in the front of the <laughs> line. <laughs> I understand there might be some exciting news related to all that. Actually, this morning it was announced that we signed a contract with Cerner to replace all of those systems I just mentioned with Cerner Millennium family of integrated systems. Holy cow. That's a lot of change going to happen. I know you just made the announcement. How long are you thinking that'll take? We will be kicking it off. Any day now, and uh, tentative go-live date is June 24th of 2016. That's aggressive. Yes. That's just a little over a year away. It is about 15 months. Any concerns? Organizational change management is what I tell everybody. It's Technology is obviously a challenge. Nothing's perfect. We'll run into bumps along the way, but it's all of the other things going on in healthcare around us, you know, the move from pay per for services to pay for performance, 
On top of that, in Alabama, the the RCOs are going in. South Alabama is running the RCO for Region E. All the things going on in the health system just in general. And then on top of that, we're going to replace all of our primary information systems. Our buddy Eddie says his primary job is public relations and fundraising. I imagine you'll be doing a lot of both of those to get this project done. It's going to be keeping all of the cats herded in the same direction. Absolutely. Herding cats. Something we made a pact, and Eddie joined in that oh. next year. At Eddie Hems, did join in. We're not going to talk about ICD-10 at all. Uh, <laughs> we don't want to. Yeah, well, well, then we can start on 11 or something like that. There you go. That's what I said this morning. We're thinking alike. Tell me about how ready you guys are and if you have any concerns in the market around us there in South Alabama. With ICD-10, I technically, I think we're very ready. We've done all the upgrades, obviously, Every vendor has the opportunity to turn around and send another release out that that needs to tweak something. But all of the things that we need to do technically, we've got in place. The big thing now is organizational readiness. Again, processes. We're going through and revamping a lot of our processes, making sure that the providers, both the physicians, the mid-level providers, even some of the nurses, all the coders, everybody is trained and understands how it will be different. For a while, we'll be coding in both 9 and 10. You know, because not all of the payers are going to be ready for it as right, much as they're supposed right. to be. Um, so we're going to be having to do both for a while. So there's going to be a workload issue. One technical thing we're still working on is we're putting in computer-assisted coding to be able to help those coders handle all of that workload. But that'll be done by this summer. You're the only one that has mentioned payers not being ready. That's interesting. What do you think they're going to need to do to catch up? I think it really depends on the payer. They're, in some ways, the same boat we are is that they probably think they're ready, just like I probably think we're ready. Right. But until we actually start turning all the switches and running all the knobs and putting water through the system, we're not going to know where the leaks are. Yeah, Mark, and, one of my big concerns about ICD-10 is any other kind of system I've done that had this much revenue implication, we've done oodles and oodles and oodles of testing. I mean, we ran that data through every which way. And just the whole strategy for testing where only a certain amount of people get to test with CMS and the big payers, it's Blue Cross Blue Shield in Alabama, who I think is actually doing a good job, but they have a very short window of which they'll be able to do testing with us. So I, I share that concern that we may be testing with real money after October 1st. That'll cause some cash flow problems. We're hoping that the, a lot of the payers, because October 1st is actually the mandatory date. They could turn it on today if they wanted. You know, obviously CMS isn't ready, but the payers could allow us to start delivering today. And we're hoping that this summer, some of the payers will allow us to start providing in 10. That way we can test and we can fail back if we need to. Um, You know, Mark, we're 49th or 50th in a lot of things. But one thing that we have a great advantage over most states in Alabama, we really have three main payers, Medicare, Medicaid, and then the Blues have over 90% of the commercial market. So the good news for us in Alabama is our testing is constrained to really three major payers. We do have to test the other ones, but most of our revenue is tied there. Have you, do you see the same thing? Yeah, I do. I think that. Now, so when you said we had other advantages, I thought you were going to say we had the best seafood. But the- <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we're not going to tell them about that. Don't tell them about the white sandy um, beaches either. Oh. Yeah, I think you're right. The fact that we've got... And the, they have to visit now. The three fr- primary down. payers are where most of our work goes, most of our payments come from and most of our submissions go to will make it easier as long as it works. If it doesn't work, 
<laughs> Another story. Uh, did, did your mic go dead? What happened <laughs> no, no, there? <laughs> no, I'm just saying that there's, there's pros and cons with doing 95% of your work with three payers because as long as it works, we're all happy. If it doesn't... Here's where I think we're at, and Mark, I'll ask for your opinion on this. We've had, I don't know, 15 CIOs at least talk to us about this. I feel like most of them are confident that they'll have something, and they're also leverageable in what they've done, where they are bringing on more and more physician practices. Mm -hmm. So I believe the hospitals will be generally ready. That doesn't mean you won't be scrambling for 45 days to work through some issues. But then I believe for those physician practices, it just will never get there and have to join a health system to stay practicing. It's, It's good news to me that I'm hearing from you and Eddie and others that you'll be in a state of readiness such that, who knows, maybe you'll have to employ a few more physicians come December 1st without really expecting it. And between now and then, you're probably going to create some kind of plan that says, if we have to do this, here's 10 steps that we'll go through to to do that. What do you think about that? I personally think it's a little overblown, the lack of preparation by the physicians. Again, the technology, and I don't want to minimize it. It, You know, we had talked earlier, it's kind of like the Y2K. It was a non-issue. Technology-wise, it was a non-issue. Non-issue. I'm hoping that from a technology-wise, ICD-10 will be a non-issue. What we're going to have is we're human beings. When we have a 10-step process that became a 30-step process, we're going to break some of those occasionally. And so I think there are some physicians that their their practices are going to be really, they're going to be good on those new processes. But they're still going to have a mistake here and there. There are going to be some practices, maybe not so much. Mark, you may not want to talk about this because this is, I know, a painful subject, but we hear almost every week about a data breach in healthcare, and you have this environment where it's supposed to be free-thinking, academic, research, sharing, uh, that you have to coexist with a medical system that has uh, should protect privacy and security. How do you manage all that, and how do you sleep at night with that kind of challenge? Well... We actually segregate the health system networks from the university networks. So they, from the university, you can't, if you're a student or pretty much anybody, you can't even, you don't even know the other system exists from a a network standpoint. That's the first thing we do. Obviously, like all systems, we've got a lot of things in place, technical things that I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because we don't want people to know what to attack. <laughs> but we've got a lot of other things in place to try and protect ourselves. But the biggest one is, like I said, they're, they're logically and physically separated. So the network that the students are on in the dorms, for example, does not touch the network, even of the main campus at all, the health system. That's the first thing. Researchers, now those are obviously employees, so they have access to our network. But even then, we go through a set of training, and they have a separate things that they have to do for what they have to do, and it's separated from all of our stuff. Very good. Look at these big organizations. Anthem, you know they have a strategy and probably a well-planned strategy for security. It just happens. You know, the, we actually, I was in a meeting earlier, and we were talking about this. I try and tell people, look at it this way. The most secure networks in the world are the DOD, the U.S. Department of Defense. They spend billions, maybe trillions on security, and we all know they've been hacked. It's not a matter of if. More than once. It's not a matter of if. It's a matter of when. We will do our best. The kid on the street corner that has a little laptop, he ain't going to get into our network. If 
the hackers in China, the, the state-sponsored hackers decide to hack us? <laughs> I'm sorry. There ain't much I'm going to do about yeah, it. Yeah, I, I, I don't have billions of dollars to spend on security, and even then they are going to get by it. They've proven that. Well, so, and luckily, up till now, they haven't done anything to destroy. They've just done... Scare. Scare tactics. They've scared us, too. And and steal some financial data. Mark, we'd love to give CIOs a chance to brag on their team back home. Tell us about a project that was successful this year and how your team accomplished it. You know, we've had a lot of projects this year. We've implemented a new project management office, which has been just great. We've implemented a lot of smaller systems this year. We obviously made our meaningful use. Stage two, year one, we're working on that right now. We're almost done, obviously. We're doing a lot of different things. So this group, you had mentioned that I'm new here. I've lucked out. The majority of the folks that work for me have been here for a long time. The good thing is I didn't have to come in and make any changes there. The changes that we've been doing are just moving new systems in. It's not moving new people in. Right, and just to tell you, I did some consulting work with South Alabama, and we talk about the tenure at CTG. When I was there, there were many employees in IT that had been there for over 30 years. Wow. And my probably predece- your average is 15 to 20? It, it's probably pretty close. My predecessor had been there 43 years. His assistant CIO had been there 38 years. I've got several people that are in the mid to high 30s that have years of experience in the organization. You're just a rookie. So, yeah. Having, having, well, I've been, I've been in healthcare for 30 years, but I haven't been there for 30 years. So yeah. the good thing is that they know where all the, the knobs are. They know where everything's right. put. There's none of that. It's... You know, obviously training them on the new things. So they have a legacy that you need to live up to, really. Yes. Truly. That's great. Got some big shoes to follow. That's good. All right. Are you here a few more days? I'm here till Friday morning. Wow. What else do you have to accomplish while you're here? I was telling somebody earlier, when I I go to hymns nowadays, because... I go around the outside and I see all the small vendors because the, the big ones down the middle, you know, the, the Epics that are next door, the, the yep. Beacon Partners, all of the big companies. You know what they're doing. We know what they're doing. <laughs> they know what we're doing. They come see us all the time. Right. It's the little mom and pop shop that has five employees that I've never even heard of before and I didn't even know that was something someone was working on. Right. Those are the ones I'm looking for because... And in reality, I probably will only find one or two that I'm going to want to talk to, but that's one or two I would have never found otherwise because they weren't in this room. What a great statement for the value of him. You can't search the web enough to see someone who would have big enough presence to have yeah. a booth and to have a real conversation with someone. Yeah, that again, just using that example of that five-person shop, they can't cover all 5,000 hospitals. There's no way they could do it. And like you said, there's no way I would have found them most likely without them being here. The big boys, you know, we're going to go talk to them. I've I've met with several of them as well. Most of that is how do we get a little deeper on what their product is? I want to make sure I understand it. Obviously, I don't make the decisions in most of this. The people that work for me are the ones that make decisions. I just sign the checks and (laughs) say it's ready to go. But I want to understand it. That's my background as a technologist, I want to at least understand it, maybe not be able to do it. Well, and bring the right options to the table so you're not wasting time looking at things that wouldn't really work. Yes. 30 years ago, Mark, did you anticipate that technology would have such an impact in our daily lives? I mean, we probably could have said, yeah, business is going to really be impacted by rapidly updated technology. But what about personally in our daily lives? I mean, I know that my, the way that I communicate with my children has changed completely in the last five years. It's interesting. When, when I was just starting, 
ATMs were coming out. Right. And my parents are like, you know, why would you go use an ATM? <laughs> why would you talk to you somebody? Know, why don't you go inside and talk to the bank teller? <laughs> and I'm like, why would I spend why that extra four or five right, minutes exactly. when I can I can get my balance, I can get my money, I can put my money in any time of the day. I remember that. <laughs> but yes. When computers first came out, yeah. we had my stepfather was into computers and we built kit computers. And people were like, that's weird. <laughs> you know, because they knew of computers as these room filling. The big giant yeah, ones. You know, the big room filling pieces space, of equipment. You know? You know, it was cool. So, as far as personal use, did we imagine smartphones? I'm sitting here looking at three guys standing on the wall. All of them have their smartphone yep. staring at it, working, working away. Nobody probably imagined that. Did we think that? Tricorders. I mean, there was Star Trek, and there was tricorders, and there was the communicators. The flip phone. The, the flip first. phone. The flip phone. When Dick Tracy. <laughs> when you know, the, now when, we have the yeah, Apple Watch. And the Dick, Dick Tracy, Tracy predicted the it, right? When the, when the Motorola Edge came out, remember if, oh, when that yeah. came out, everybody said, they're finally here. The, the Star Trek flip phone That's is available. Right. But it didn't have all of the capabilities. Smart, the Apple phones that are out, all of the Android phones that are out, they have more capability by multiple orders of magnitude mm. than the mainframes that filled the whole room did. Remember the movie Tron, the first? <laughs> the, the original Tron and then the remakes. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, it's, it's come so far. Did I imagine this? No, I don't think, I don't think very few people did. I was asked recently, what do I think we're going to be in 10 to 20 years from now? Yeah. I held my hand right at the end of my nose and I said, that's about all as far that's as my I future can vision see can right see. Here. Because there are so many possibilities. Some are going to take off much faster than others. Some are going to be a little slower than others. Well, it's I, interesting, I think, as you ask that question, Rayanne, to think of us three were about the same age. 30 years ago, we didn't have Moore's Law and we didn't understand it. So maybe people that came another 10 years or 11 years and went through a couple of generations, which is 18 months of Moore's Law, mm-hmm. would have a much better idea or be much more open. I'm, right. We had dial phones, you know. Uh, and rotary phones. <laughs> yeah. The whole rotary, you know, a, a dial-up internet connection. I can remember yeah. hey, just being so excited that in, in five minutes I was going to be connected to the internet. We right? implemented ICD-9. <laughs> there, there. <laughs> oh, no. At the, at the Chime meeting on, on Sunday, they did a thing that talked about the computer intelligence of different generations. Ah. And they asked, what generation do we think is the most computer intelligent right now? Do you guys know what the answer was? Uh, I Post think baby it's, boom. it's yeah, us. It's us. I'm thinking it's us, the Joneses, the, those of us that are right on the cusp of baby boomers. Eight-year-olds. <laughs> really? Don't That's tell what me they that. said. I need job it's security. Eight, eight to twelve-year-olds are the most <laughs> computer intelligent. They know more. And and I and I, I think I, of my twelve-year-old yeah, son. He I, does stuff. He plays with the computers that I didn't even know existed when I was his age. Uh, that's when great. he was five, he could turn yeah, on they his don't own know laptop. Any, they, they don't. They can't even imagine what a rotary phone is, right? They can't. They can't <laughs> They're not imagine. Burdened by that, my, my son, right? who's eighteen, asked me one time what a typewriter was. Yeah. Right. So doesn't even have a. Doesn't it's it's a keyboard that makes a lot of noise and weighs about a thousand pounds. That's <laughs> and, what a typewriter is. It's kind of like a printer, but it's yeah, not. You kind know? of like a, a manual printer. Well, even that, my, my same kind of thing. My son has to do things, and he's like, "Why do we bother printing? I can just upload the document. Why do yeah, I have to it print just it out live on my and phone. bring it to school?" Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> That's crazy when you think about, I, I can remember typing out an essay when I was a senior in high school and 
making one mistake. You remember making one mistake, correction (laughs) fluid and going back on that. And then, then even printing later, later years printing. And now they don't print. My kids that are in college, they just upload it, which is what you're saying. They upload it straight to, um, Oh, it's, it's actually a software that actually sees if they uh, have plagiarism. plagiarism. Yes. That's right. So. My son has the same thing Oof. with most of his teachers. Yep. He hates the teacher that makes him submit <laughs> hard copies. Why, yeah, why, why, do I have to, why do I have to submit a hard copy? That's, okay. that's hilarious. Well, Mike, Mark, it looks like we're running out of time. Before we let you go, where can people go to contact you and learn more about University of South Alabama Health System? Well, I'm on Twitter and I'm on LinkedIn. You can always reach me at my office. My office number is 251-434-3675. Sadly, you won't get me directly there, but you can call and leave a message there. And You are the first person to leave a phone number. I love that. Yeah, awesome. Well, all three of those are, are ways that people can reach me. And folks, communication, networking is how we find out things. So. Absolutely. And thank you for networking with us. It's been a real pleasure. Well, it's always a pleasure to meet with you, Joe. Absolutely. Thank I love you, it, Mark. Mark. Great to thank meet you. you. All right. That wraps this live broadcast from Hymns 15. Again, we want a quick shout out to our sponsor, AM. Population health, data and analytics, IT support, electronic health record, those EHRs. CTG provides value-based Results, absolutely, with great people committed to their client mission of integrated solutions. All right. Thank you, CTG. It's been great. Uh, We've had a great time. We have. On behalf of our guests, Mark Lauderen, my co-host, Rayanne Thorne, I'm Joe Lavelle. Intrepid Healthcare will be on the web. We're signing out. www.intrepidnow.com. Beam me up, Scotty. (laughs) 